Hello, welcome to the No Opinion Podcast, Season 2, No Space for Design. I'm Lyle Bruce. And I'm Ryan McLeod. And we run Agency of None, we're a design studio in Dundee. This season of the No Opinion Podcast is supported by the National Lottery through Creative Scotland. In the last episode, we, we finished by talking to, to Scott Mackay of Mid-Steeple Quarter around the idea of, of starting with community needs uh, and building from there. For this episode, what we, we thought we'd do is, is open by talking about what some of those community needs are. Um, we've spoken to a, a whole load of whole load of people, including sort of individual creatives, and a lot of them have, have spent a lot of time at at kitchen tables and spare bedrooms in spaces that aren't necessarily custom designed to, for working from and after the past sort of two three years those spaces have become a little uncomfortable but also there's a, a lack of, of human contact um, and that has, has been missing and also those sort of the chance happenings the the sort of passive meetings that um that we all kind of benefit from and that are really beneficial to our practice um and i think that's something that has, has been highlighted as, as missing over the past two or three years um so we also spoke to annie mars um lead officer of unesco city of design and jillian eason director of creative dundee about what the the community's wants and needs are at the moment because they have a a large engaged community and they're in regular contact with them so so we asked them about what is it that that the community wants and needs right now i think uh, yeah so uh, for us i think you know we're in regular communication that sounds really weird we're just in touch with people all the time and i suppose the biggest thing that people come to us and say is that although i've kind of learned to adapt to working from home I do enjoy like not working from home and want a space to kind of uh, come into a couple of days a week, but also a space to collaborate. And, you know, we've massively missed out in terms of that opportunity to just bump into people in the kind of Goldilocks size city. Like we, you know, there's just a lot of um, reparative work that needs done. Like we just need to repair lots of stuff. And the I think the the best way to do that is to literally create opportunities for people to like collide or collaborate with each other in the same space. So yeah, that's what we're looking for is that kind of social network cross like co-work space, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can't really add anything to that, can you? <laughs> like that's like totally sums it up because it's it's that bit of, you know, I I, I do like believe it in the sense of like you you can you can you know you can fix anything you can get desks or computers or i don't know podcast studio or you know whatever it is you can make all that stuff happen but if you don't have people and the energy that comes with those brilliant creative people and and as Gillian said i really love the way you just phrase that actually that kind of collide and collaborate because actually it's not always positive you know they're totally our negatives but you learn from those and you grow from those whether that's professionally or personally or in developing a project and and we need to find those 
physical spaces where people feel welcome, where they are included and where they can be, like literally just be and and spend that time together and yeah. and and then, and then see kind of and just see what happens and yeah. i think having that trust that's one of the things i've always loved about like the sector and about the organizations you know like creative dundee with that trust in creative people to to make those things those things kind of work yeah yeah i i would agree like we're currently in a cupboard at the moment well a very small office and it's not it doesn't suit our needs it suits our needs to kind of work um a bit there and then a bit from home as most people are doing still at the moment but we need we need event space like we really miss being we got turfed out of vision building and with others during the pandemic which is kind of hilarious that somebody else wanted a a big space in that time but there you go and yeah we're just suffering not having an event space that we can use so that's what we need that's what our needs are and we're also kind of like quite a um, we're a bit of an expanding team like we've expanded a wee bit and we've also got some freelance um, team members who work with us so we need space to be a bit more adaptive than it currently is but we still want to work in that kind of way like we've often descri- described ourselves as quite nomadic or like remote working before remote working was the way we all worked like we still want to work across the city but we need a, a base to do that from we need somewhere to kind of like I don't know put our hat or whatever the, the saying is hang your hat that's it <laughs> hang your hat because it's the, it's the space to be visible it is because if we're thinking about other cultural organisations they have those spaces that are really easily yeah. identifiable so you have a museum or an art gallery or a, um, a theatre space and you know the organisation you know the space they inhabit and you know what goes on there mm neither of us work in that manner because because no. um, we just don't it's just not the nature of our projects or organizations and so trying to therefore find a space which can do everything that we want is actually really really hard mm. and to be adaptive and something that can grow and expand uh, you know and if you get the opportunity to maybe go to some other places you can see that where it is at the street level and that's really exciting because you're peering into people's Mm. studio spaces or um, kind of uh, co-working places or you're maybe just like popping in to grab a coffee but just so happens that you can see through the back and there's I don't know a workshop or whatever kind of going on um, you know, yeah, we we don't we don't have that visibility, um, and we are trying. And I think it's that thing, and it is is worthwhile to sort of mention that of you know, it's we are trying and we're trying really really hard. Um, and we at UNESCO, with various partners from the last five years, have tried to do that in a number of different occasions. Um, and our current our current version of that uh, is on Union Street. So we were. Um, uh, I was gonna under I was gonna underplay our involvement there actually, but I'm just gonna I'm actually just gonna not do that and go. We led the pedestrianisation of Union Street uh, back in 2020, and um, and as a result of that, uh, we've now been asked um, to continue on some de- some development work uh, in and around Union Street, and the and an opportunity has presented itself to occupy a shop. Um, which uh, had become vacant and so we're currently in there um, and we're it's a co-design studio and for the purpose of um, imagining what Union Street might be in the future 
And um, when that project is finished in the next couple of months, it is our intention to occupy that for a, for a two year period um, as a design space. I don't know what it'll have in it yet, but it'll be, you know, workshops and exhibitions and it'll profile that vibrancy of design in, in Dundee and, and try and kind of bridge that gap of between like, well, what is it to be a UNESCO City of Design? And maybe we can show some of that um, visibly. And I think um, those things are really, really important because it is that visibility um, and and making that case for projects and being able to demonstrate them. It's so much easier if you've got an example that you can point to and people can actually see and then you can kind of leap off from there for, for other things. One of the things that that, that, that space is doing is not only is it giving people access to design, uh, they are they're actually seeing the benefit of it in the area that it's in. It's actually there to help develop that street and help to to create something else. So it's making people see that you don't just have to accept a city infrastructure essentially the way it exists. You can question it and you can you can create change in that. And you can you can if the community wants it to be something else, it can be something else. And that's the, that's what we're trying to suggest. I think with retail space and giving it over to design and creativity is that yes that stuff can also that can be for you know doing projects from for working from and dealing with your clients or doing you know commercial work but it can also be because you're putting these people right in the heart of a city you can also help to to shape those areas around it and and make them benefit from having that type of skill right there on their doorstep yeah and i think that this is only one um, small project example and that we need many many more of these to to really um, solidify and prove this concept um, but I think also from what Gillian and Annie were, were talking about um, there is a need uh, coming from the community for this centralised hub this sort of focal point for creativity in the city so I think for, for the rest of this episode what we're going to focus on is if we have identified that, that, that there is this this need, this desire from the community, then then how do we start to shape that and, and what are the things that we should be thinking about if we're doing that? Um, so we spoke to Claire Carpenter, who is the founder of the, the Melton Pot in Edinburgh, um, but she now provides expertise and advice to lots of different people and groups on how to actually start and run creative um, co-working spaces. The Melton Pot came about in the early noughties as an idea in my mind. And I knew loads of people who were either employees of charities and small companies or consultants, um, or consultants otherwise known as freelancers, for uh, the sector. And I wanted to create a space that brought them together because we're stronger when we're together, when we connect with each other, when we can give business to each other support each other in our hopes and dreams and struggles and how do I make this work, you know, moments. Um, and I didn't want a space for myself five days a week, but that was all you could get. You had to like take on an office lease, but like a year would have been real luxury, short amount of time to get a desk for a year. But really, you know, you're looking at taking on a whole room, a whole office somewhere for, three years, five years, 10 years, that was the way it was. So I kind of wanted to disrupt that really. And then the whole timeshare model, effectively enabling people to pay for the time they actually wanted, not what the landlord wanted to sell them. 
Like at that time, back then, that was very radical in when applied to the office market. And there were a few people like me around the world, disruptors of that real estate model going, no, you know, I, I want it. My friends want it one day a week, two days a week, three days a week. Or I want to be able to grow and then contract in the summer. That's what happens. You know, all businesses have uh, highs and lows throughout the year, seasonality and co-working spaces are often quieter in the summer and when the school holidays happen. And that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting to hear about the the start of the, the model where that Claire describes there that it's actually sort of changing the, the relationship with people and space and how um, you actually could have a choice and it actually gives that that sort of more flexible option when you put that the layer between the landlord and the, the tenant um, and someone who's taken responsibility for the space um, but allowing others to kind of pick and choose when and how they, they use that space. But isn't that the strength of the creative community in general is to to be able to look at what's gone on before and be able to question about whether or not that's still the right model and if we can change that and create new ways of working. And that, that's kind of why having this, this sort of mix up of spaces in your city and giving over space to creative uh, companies and design companies is good all around for a healthy, progressive sort of city approach. Yeah, and I think it's like it's creatives want to be creative. They want to to do their practice. They want the, the space that can help them facilitate that. But sometimes you need that that layer, that level that that allows it to happen. Um, the the sort of intermediary, um, so that we don't have to get bogged down in in contracts and leases and electricity bills and whatever um, and, and I suppose that's that's what co-working spaces started started to do but I mean that's that's obviously changed quite significantly over the past few years um, with everything that's happened so I asked Claire to sort of give us a bit of a, a summary or an insight into into co-working spaces and the, and the industry and how that's changed over the over the past few years Everybody, every business out there that owns floor space wants a way to engage with customer pipeline. So banks, hotels, um, normal normal service workspace providers pre-pandemic, they're all going, oh, if we provide a inverted commas flexi workspace, let's call it co-working because people think that's sexy, then we can uh, get punters in the door. And then they'll buy our beer or they'll buy our hotel or they'll buy our bank account or whatever will engage with them. So what's happening is a loss of independent small businesses because they didn't survive the cash flow crisis because they didn't own the buildings and the landlords. Let's just say they weren't that supportive or long term investing in them. Uh, and then big operators are scaling up and seeing the opportunity for secondary towns, uh, commuter towns, smaller towns, and even rural areas. But it's the business model. What's the business model? Particularly in the smaller, the smaller and smaller the property, the harder the business model, because it's, you know, it's there's no great margins. You're not selling something with a, yeah, it's a high cost. Running a building 
and staffing it and heating it and providing Wi-Fi and making it clean. These are expensive things to do compared to uh, some other things that you could do in buildings and make more money on. It's a desk. People don't want to pay a lot of money for a desk. They think it's outrageous. Anyway, what else is happening post-pandemic? Um, there's been a massive advert for co-working, for flexi work, for hybrid work, for remote work, for people um, going digitally nomadic. So I think there is a been, been this huge advertisement for the opportunity co-working hubs can provide. And there's a lot of greenwashing of um, spaces that are going, we provide co-working space. And I would argue that they don't, they provide flexi workspace. They don't really care about building a community and curating that community and helping people build their business. They're just workspace and flexible workspace. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But please stop calling it co-working hub so that the, the wider public could be more, could get better educated and not think that when they go into one serviced workspace, that that's the experience they're going to get when they go into another service workspace. Because it's kind of like eating at a restaurant or eating food. You can eat food from a vending machine and you can eat it from a Michelin-style restaurant and a lot of things in between. And flexible workspaces like that, you can do it from someone's kitchen table. That's a flexible workspace. Go and stay with your mates or your parents or whatever. That's a flexible workspace. Or you can go into uh, the WeWork chain of offices around the world or anything in between. You're going to have a very different experience depending on where you choose to, uh, inverted commas, eat your workspace meal. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, um, you know, I think we can't call, you know, we do use co-working probably quite quite interchangeably. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's become a buzzword, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's kind of taken on its own meaning uh away from what it was actually originally there to, to mean i mean that that same confusion probably exists in lots of areas of of the world and industry and and particularly in design as well i think you probably confuse confuse design all the time um i mean it is you do have to i mean this sort of curation of the spaces uh is probably a really important differential between that say version of co-working and the version that a cafe might op- you know, offer for giving you a coffee while you sit there with your laptop out. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to the culture that you create within that the the way that space operates and how the the people within it interact. Um, and I think it's it's about being more than the the sort of sum of your parts, if you like. That that there are benefits. That there are conversations that happen there's interactions that happen that benefit everyone in that space that that actually as a as a group and as a collective that are just that are using a, a certain space there's a benefit for being in there and actually there's a that comes with the work that's done in order to create the space and mold it shape it um and look at actually who comes into that so where are the boundaries in which you say yes you're right for this space and mm, are you right for this space um, and that's what Claire goes on to talk about and um, one of the things a lot of co-working operators we always talk about oh it's a co-working space it's not it's a co-working business you run it exists in a space and you serve co-working members or clients and you're trying to grow your community base your customer base 
Uh, I think the, you know, with any, any business, doesn't matter what it is, your first 10 customers are the hardest and then making those 10, ha then those 10 customers happy and then bringing in the next 10 customers and the next 10 customers. So if you can get your products and services right for the first 10, you're on a good chance to get your next 10 and then the next 10 and the next 10. And the critical thing is not to try and lose too many of them along the way. But also another critical thing is make sure you don't take everybody because if you're, for instance, in, in your, your circumstance, you're looking at creatives, know your audience, know who you want to attract um, and be prepared to eliminate people that don't fit with what you want to achieve within your hub because you don't have to be everything to everybody, you know? You just don't. Uh, if you were a publican and there was a rowdy customer, you'd get rid of them. You wouldn't say, keep giving me your money, I need another beer sold. You'd know that that, that that rowdy customer was damaging the environment for the rest of your customers. And I think the same can apply in a co-working hub. In any business that's in startup, you're desperate for your first lot of business, but make sure it's the right business. Know who, the, know who your audience types are um, and go for them and be prepared to be selective. You, the, particularly the early customers, your pioneer members, you really want them to be behind what you're trying to achieve because they're the ones that are going to be suffering while you haven't quite got your administration system set up or, you know, things are a bit glitchy at the beginning because they are. So there was a period early on in the, in the first Mountain Pots space on Rose Street where it seems to be every, every person that came through the door looking for membership was a web developer. Um, but we were about social innovation and social impact. And it's fair enough to have a few web developers and freelancers, that's absolutely fine. And social impact organizations need some web developers. So you're trying to create a, an environment where people can do business with each other. Um, but I didn't want a hundred web developers. That wasn't the point. Uh, and another thought that I had when you were speaking there is about, well, whose decision is it? Who's got the authority and the responsibility? Because, you know, as a business, you're, you, you're if you're taking on the responsibility for a lease and paying the bills and all of that lot, who gets to decide who your customers are? Is it your other customers? In which case that's more like a cooperative um, business or is it yourself? And do those other, do your clients actually care? Would they not rather outsource the decision-making about who potential customers might be and all of the, all of the effort involved in selecting people? It's quite a responsibility to share amongst each other, but it does depend on the size and nature of your beast. Um, it's the experience people have when they're there. And it's not that you're going to do business with everybody. You know, if you've got a co-working hub and it's got 150 members or 300 members or, or 30, it doesn't actually size. Size is only really about viability and your uh, geographical climate, what it would support. But you don't have to do, members don't have to do business with everybody there. They don't have to like everybody that's there, but they do want a space that's professional, that's supportive, that's friendly, that's curated, in my experience. That's what people are really after. Otherwise, they'll just go to a coffee shop and be anonymous or a library or sit, sit on a friend's kitchen table. You know, you can work, if you can work from anywhere, what's going to bring them to your hub? 
yeah that um you're trying to decide and and you know who's right for space and who comes into it is a really difficult process to go through and i remember having that sort of same challenge with with fleet and i remember when we were running that you know, we had a you know fleet had a fairly strong sort of identity to what it did it kind of branded itself essentially as a space and we we kind of tried to attract the right kind of people into that space so that we could work on projects together and that was the the main you know selling point of it um but you know it was like how do you tell people who maybe come just looking for a space to work from that they're not right um, I remember particularly somebody just wanted it to give a desk space to for a builder. Um, the builder was based in coming into the city to do project work, and just needed a desk to be able to phone into their office and check up stuff. And I was just like, I kept having to say no, that's not right. Um, and they 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 kept not really taking that as an answer and kept coming back and saying, but but it's just a desk we need, you know, and we'll pay money for it and stuff. And it's like no, it's it's just not what we're trying to do. Um. And they were, I was trying to keep saying, well, maybe you could try somewhere else. Maybe you could try this place. And they were like, no, no, I, I don't know what they did. Uh, you know, there's that kind of thing. I think what we did with Fleet was we put it in the hands of the community. You know, that was the way that we, we looked at how that worked. We said, right, okay, um, you're the people here, here, um, and you have a bit of a vote on who gets to come in. And that's how we always used to say it to people if they were approaching it. We said, we, you know, we'll put it around all the members and they will get a chance to, to, to have their say. Um, so we try to be quite democratic with it. Yeah, and I think that that takes a, a big level of, of commitment to do that with everyone who applies to be part of that. And I think there's there's obviously a, a, a sliding scale on, on how you do that. And if you're a more commercial entity, then you just, you decide. You There is a hierarchy in the, the People who are managing the space say yes or no, um, whereas um, we were more at the collective end of that model where it was more of a, of a democratic process. But I think there were a lot of discussions at the time around about the identity and, and who we were as a collective and how everyone felt about that and also who was right. I remember debates around people who'd, who'd apply, so in particular Russell Pepper. That's who just came to my head as well. Yeah, who was doing a PhD in renewable energy but had an interest in doing other projects beside that. And in the end, we decided that, yes, he was on the periphery of what we would consider creative or, or, or a right fit for the collective, but there would be a benefit to him and to us for him being part of it. So we, he came in and he had a desk for quite a long period of time, um, but then started up the Open Close project, which has now been running for, I don't know, five, ten years, probably not ten quite yet, but, um, and it has been an amazing thing for the city, and it has championed um, street art and trails around the city, um, and had we not made that decision as a collective, then that may not have ever happened. I always remember, because Russell was just a really interesting person, like, you know, you, you knew... You had a, you just had a feeling that okay maybe he's not quite what we uh, set the space up for, but you could tell that he was you know he was interested in getting involved with things and and you know being involved with the space. Um, he's also gone on to be quite a disruptor as well. You know he's kind of like he, he's quite active on you know saying it as it is for especially around the, the you know issues around um, active travel and things like that for example. So you know there's a lot of things that have happened in the city or are happening in the city as well because he has you know, 
you know, he's got a voice now and he's able to, to, to use that. A lot of what we're talking about is is tied to creating the right model for the community that that you're you're part of, that you're working with, and making sure that it's a good fit, but also that the financial and business model is sound that underlies that. Um, and the, the last time we're going to bring in Claire is just to talk a little bit more about that sort of the financial aspects of it and, and looking at um, things like scale. Hmm. Well, size matters and your business model is based on how much space you can sell to people and all of the services that go in it. So if it's a very small building that you're in, for instance, you might only have a dozen desks that can still be a fabulous co-working hub, but it's going to be a lifestyle business to deliver it. Um, that one person or two people tops it's going to take to run the facility, or maybe it's run with, you know, on some more collective type basis. So depending on your size of your space will really um, affect what you can afford to put in it. Um, you know, is it all desks? Don't make it all desks. People need to break away from desks. Uh, but people want everything. You know, they want a jacuzzi. They want a, they want a, a podcasting room. They want Zoom rooms. They want somewhere they can go for sleep after lunch. And uh, basically, they want a house that they only pay one day a week for. Um, and you've got to make the business model work. And really, people are probably only coming in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Fridays and Mondays are a bit slack. So you've got to make a business model work and meet lots of people's very different needs and your own business model stack up. So how do you sweat that floor space? How do you provide people enough of what they want, um, but not try to be everything to everybody? Because maybe you can't, you don't have room for that barista coffee machine, but you have got a printer, uh, <laughs> which is most important here. They can get coffee from somewhere else, um, but people like coffee. Like coffee. Uh, in terms of what to do well, I, Basic, like permaculture, if you think of permaculture and designing a garden, there's similarities there in designing space. You want enough circulation space. You want things well laid out. You want it to be intuitive where to go. You want simple signposting that people can self-service. Oh, this is where I store my stuff. This is where I put my coats. I want visual clues um, as to direction of travel, layout. Um, you want to make sure that there is enough gap between the noisy areas and the quiet areas that the noise doesn't bleed. Um, and there needs to be space for both. There needs to be space for focus as well as for interaction. Can't all be interaction, can't all be focus. You can may as well go to a library. Um, don't always listen to architects. They like to design spaces very beautifully, but it won't necessarily make you money because they're not trying to sweat the floor plate that you've got to uh, deliver your business model in. You know, where else could you squeeze in an extra uh, standing desk or a little sitting area or a phone call area? You know, have some imagination. And another thing, some people are really not very spatially aware. Uh, you know, and they'll chuck a whole load of money at stuff like fancy chairs um, 
but it just doesn't feel right. It feels cold. So how, how do you, yeah, what's your design? What's your design aesthetic? Uh, who's your audience? What can they afford to pay? And your building work and uh, the design, um, the fitting out, it's always going to cost you more than you want it to. It's just like doing your home up. Always going to cost more. So okay, how can you keep it modest? Facebook Marketplace is an utterly brilliant tool to find secondhand things. And there's so much out there. You don't have to buy new. Uh, there's so many, so much that you could pick up secondhand that looks good, but it takes time and effort to do so. Have you got that time and effort or do you have cash to splash? You know, it's a different thing. And you could maybe do it in stages as well. The final thing I'd add is actually where are your staff going to be? Because you will want a place to run away from your customers. You, know, you need your own focus space as well, uh, that, that, or a hat that says "Do not disturb," <laughs> or you're going to end up working from home instead of your co-working hub, which is what I'm currently doing myself. <laughs> yeah, that that scale thing and getting the right size of space for what it is you're trying to to make is is probably very, you know key as well to, to creating a successful space or, or successful co-working space um you know i think like you could probably say like something like westward works for example when we were looking at that was probably you know way too big for a curated kind of space you know it might have had a little bits of that inside it and pockets of it inside it um you know but ultimately it probably would have been like a giant you know wasp studios or something like that and it kind of it kind of reminds me of um I think again when we were setting up Fleet Collective and Don and I had had very different sort of models in our heads of how it worked you know I think Donna talks about it when she was chatting about we both had these sort of ideas we'd seen it around the world and she she had very much seen the 401 Richmond Street model which is out in Toronto and and at that time my reference was a place in uh, Groningen in the Netherlands which was uh, called the Pudding Fabrique and it was like it was an old uh, factory that had been turned into space for creatives and you know I hadn't been to 401 Richmond Street at that time. I have since. And it's like, I now know, you know, more about what it was that she was kind of uh, drawing on. And that was probably more of that Westward Works model. It was probably much more, it's much more like, uh, again, like Wasp Studios. There's lots of different people in there behind their own doors. There's galleries, there's shops. There's, um, but, but fundamentally, it's individual artists and designers working out of small spaces with, with shutting doors that they can they can go away. Um, and I think, uh, you know, where I, the one I was looking at was very much more that curated space of like different design disciplines that all worked sort of harmoniously together, but had were at different scales. So, you know, you had, you had your freelancers who, uh, who just wanted to be in there and have a desk. You had your studios that, that were working on big uh, projects for, for big clients and, then you know every there was a sort of rotating management system that was going on for the space so people would rotate around and, and manage the space month on month uh, or month on month i think it was year year on year um and then we'd throw a party you know every six months or so in the space and just like open it up and and have all their clients in and you know um, everyone would get to meet each other's clients there was no there was no secrecy and i like that i like that sort of you know harmonious model of different places all working together um, and I think that's that's the thing. It's key to you've got to find the right size of space for what it is you want to try to do, and you know, try try and get that that culture that you you want within it. So on this theme of sort of scale, um, 
and sort of running a space effectively and efficiently in order to to get this sort of long long term sustainability that we've sort of been talking about throughout these episodes. Um, I want to bring in Christine James, uh, who runs Blick Studios in Belfast. She came back to Northern Ireland after working in the fashion industry in Italy and wanted to create a space where she could work with others. Um, and they started out with the collective model, um, which ended up with a few people doing all the work and not really having that balance. And then they went to more the the sort of management model, and then they've they've managed to sustain that since two thousand and seven. But in order to make that work, they've made made some really sort of astute decisions on on the services that they offer and how they offer them in order to to have this really lean business model. Um, and I'll let Christine sort of explain in a bit more depth about how how they've done that. So we had to really look at the business model and how we could not rely on funding, basically, to mm-hmm. make it sustainable. Um, we just did a lot of work around what kind of services we could offer and changing our pricing model and also looking at really cutting back our costs and how we can do things more affordably. Like we have a really lean staff structure and we also introduce different services like we do business in a virtual office and business address service. And that actually gives us a really good return. Um, It doesn't take that much work. I think you definitely can't rely on rental income to cover the costs. Like that just isn't gonna do it if you want it to be for like actually for the creative sector because I think you'll price out your clients and you probably you know you think you have to do something like we do yeah the business address service is actually very good for us and I think it's and the consultancy stuff I think it's things like that like people might look at and think your main business is the workspace but actually like for us it doesn't really make it kind of covers its costs and that and that's that's it we do some room hire and things like that but again there's quite a lot of staff costs and that's it's like not necessarily that good a return on time spent on it. Uh, the other thing is we actually don't do any hot desking because, as I said, the differences in regional differences in cities is we just don't have enough people coming through Belfast that are willing to pay for the day. I think cities like London and Dublin, you've got a lot of people kind of traveling and people commuting. Um, and again, for us, we worked out, we don't do any flexible spaces at all. Well, they're Flexible in terms of release thing, but we don't, all our desks are dedicated because it's the administration of people coming in and out. Like it just financially doesn't work out. So I think we just kept everything really, really simple and lean with our business model. So you either rent a desk or you don't rent anything at all. Um, and it also works in terms of giving better security in the spaces and a better sense of community. So people can leave all their stuff in there, which I think creators in particular like. So they either have like desktops or they like to have books and and then the other thing we did over the years was we realized that we needed to scale up but to do it in an affordable way I think it's finding the right property and building those relationships with your landlords where you can Um, we've kept it at three because we did have four spaces at one stage one in a different city and also business model wise for us we realized that didn't really make sense we had to have a whole other staff member I think it's getting that kind of size and scale right where you can manage the same core team of people. 
that pretty much brings us to the end of episode three. And I think we've we've kind of looked a lot here at the sort of spaces and different types of spaces that you could create. Um, whether you need street level, um, you're wanting to engage the, the sort of public with your space and teach them a bit about what goes on there. Whether you're trying to create that for a, a group of, of like-minded uh, creatives that kind of have a, a shared vision. Um, we've, we've, we've kind of looked at like the differences between co-working spaces as well and, and um, the needs that they have and the needs of the people that are within them. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to kind of look at there and think about about what you do once you have your your space and and how you go about creating the business model around that and and also not just purely focusing on the money income and actually thinking about you know what's what is that culture that you're trying to make through the space so that's it for episode three i uh, just want to say thank you to all the guests and everyone who's contributed and been part of of the discussion and inputted into the podcast series and yeah thank you very much and if there is anything that you you thought of or that that interested you in the episodes then please do get in touch you can drop us a message on twitter or on instagram and continue the conversation there it's at agency of none but yeah we'll see you in episode four